But I want to speak to you for a few moments um, as we have time to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. And if you have your Bible with you, you can look at Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses there from beginning in verse number 18 of Matthew chapter number 1. These young people have some tremendous potential, and uh, I just thought as I sat here and watched them, uh, some of these young people are going to be the ones that were here this morning uh, a few years down the road, and they'll be doing the same thing and serving the Lord. And over the years, it's been good to see different ones that have been in the kids' choir and see them grow and develop, and now in some in the adult choir and serving the Lord. And uh, I think all of you would agree, I'd a whole lot rather them learn songs like what they've sung tonight than some of the wild rock music of the world that's being uh, pushed on our kids today. And uh, so I, I appreciate Robin, the great job that she does, and all of her helpers. I think maybe David and Katie probably had the hardest job tonight, <laughs> keeping the little ones in, in their places and all. But that's all part of it, to see them grow and learn. And some of you, if you had to get up here, you'd be scared to death to do what they did tonight. Amen? And so it's great to see them. And thank you for allowing us to have the privilege of training your young people and teaching them, and developing them. And I hope you'll pray for them. Pray. If you had kids that are up here tonight, you ought to pray for them every day. And grandkids, pray that God will work in their lives and develop them to be Godly young men and young ladies. Our world's in a mess, isn't it? And the hope for our country are these kids like this tonight and seeing them come to know the Lord and, and live for the Lord. In Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So we think about the true meaning of Christmas, we always come back to the Bible, to the Word of God, and to what God says about it. And that's where we find the true meaning. And there are a lot of things that are taught and that are pushed over in the world today, and, and some of it is okay to celebrate and so forth, but don't forget the real true meaning, amen, Jesus Christ. Years ago, a newspaper ran an editorial at Christmas time, and they told about a mother who was putting her little girl to bed. And the girl had just begun learning the Lord's Prayer. And as she was saying her prayers before she went to sleep, she kind of lisped through the first four lines. And when she came to the fifth line, she paused for a moment. She wasn't quite sure what came next. 
And finally, she burst out in confidence and said, and forgive us our Christmases. And I got to thinking about that. You know what? In our world today, there's a lot of people going to have to pray that prayer after Christmas. They're going to have to say, forgive us our Christmases, because they don't know what Christmas is all about. And millions of Americans have gotten the emphasis in the wrong place. I'm thankful in our world today, as messed up as it is, that we still celebrate Christmas. Amen? Despite how many people fight against the Bible and the Word of God and the things of God, as a nation, we still stop and celebrate Christmas. And I know they're not all for the right reasons, and many of it has to do with uh, money and, and all of those sorts of things and selling and getting and all of that. And we've drifted a long ways from the true meaning of Christmas, but I'm thankful that we still have that in our society and in our world. And... We don't know, you know, as we go along down the years, that may change because the world is pushing back on God and pushing back on anything that has to do with Christ. And things may get much worse as we get closer to the, to the coming of the Lord. But the beautiful story of Christmas is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about the true meaning of Christmas, I think about these verses that we read here, particularly verse number 21 that says, And she shall bring forth a son... And they shall, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The true meaning of Christmas, first of all, is a story about man's sin. It's a story about our sin. He shall save his people, the Bible says, from their sins. There's several things about the condition of man that we need to be reminded of. First of all, man's condition, we think about his wickedness. Now, the world today doesn't want us to talk about wicked and bad, and yet the Bible still tells us we're all sinners, amen? And it doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to know that. But we need to understand very clearly that in God's eyes and in God's sight, men and women in our world today are sinners, and that includes every single one of us. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one to his own way. We've all gone our own way. Romans 3.23 says, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, spoke in his great personal wisdom under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and he said this, he said, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And the fact is that God looked down on this earth and searched for that type of a man. And he says, the Bible says in Psalm 14, 2 and 3, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And so that settles it for all of us. God says, there's none of us that are good. Amen? And we understand that from the Word of God because we have all sinned. We've broken God's laws. We've obeyed, disobeyed Him. And so we've gone astray. We've gone our way instead of God's way. So we see the wickedness of man. Secondly, I see his helplessness. His helplessness. Not only is man in bad shape, but he's unable to do anything to fix himself up to please God. And his helplessness tells us several things. It tells us, first of all, 
that he's helpless to cleanse himself. You know, it's kind of like we used to use the old saying, somebody picked themselves up by their own bootstraps, you know. You can't do that, can you? And we can't do that, spiritually speaking. God said in Proverbs 20 and verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. And obviously, none of us can say that, can we? We can't make our heart clean. In fact, God himself answers that question in Jeremiah 2 and verse 22. He says, For though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. Nitre and soap were two cleansing materials that they used in the Bible day. And the Bible says that the most powerful instruments known to man at that time were not good enough to cleanse our iniquity or to wash away our sins. We're helpless to cleanse ourselves. Then we're also helpless to free ourselves from our sins. In John 8 and verse 34, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is servant of sin. The word servant there literally means a bond slave. When we are still lost in our sins, God says we are helpless. We're a helpless victim. We cannot do anything to to take us from that position of being a slave, a bond slave to sin. Romans 8 and verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, His servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So it's pretty simple, it's pretty clear and pretty plain in the Bible. While we do not start out as young sinners in, in such deep slavery, yet the Bible tells us that we are all sinners and that sin gets more binding and controlling as we get older and as we get more more. Uh, I guess you could use the word uh, in-depth practice used to sin in our life. 2 Peter 2.14 says, Having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Well, that's kind of a pitiful condition when we look at how God looks at us and our sinfulness. Not only is the sinner helpless, to cleanse himself, not only is he helpless to free himself, but he's also helpless because the Bible says he is dead. We're dead in our sins and trespasses, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says. Just as a physically dead person is not able physically to do anything for themselves, neither can a spiritually dead person do anything for themselves spiritually. Oftentimes we'll have a funeral here at church and we'll have a body in a casket. That person in that casket can't do anything for themselves. And God said the same thing's true for every one of us spiritually. We're spiritually dead. As far as our salvation is concerned, we can't do anything to save ourselves. And so our condition is helpless. And then also the Bible tells us that we are hopeless. We're hopeless. And that hopelessness leads to disgrace. Romans 6 and verse 21 says, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are not ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The, the disgrace of our sin is that the only hope is spiritually we are dead, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We're going to end up dead spiritually and physically if we continue to follow that same direction. Matthew seven twenty seven verse 5 says that he cast down the, the pieces of silver, talking about Judas, after he had betrayed the Lord. He was so so 
hopeless, you might say, and helpless. He's an illustration of the embarrassment and the humiliation of sin. And he threw down those pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. What a desperate, terrible place of disgrace that he was in because he denied the Lord Jesus Christ and betrayed him. And then that hopelessness also leads to despair. Despair. There's some interesting verses in Psalm chapter 38 when you read about David and he talks about his failure and his sin in his life. Listen to what he says in Psalm 38 in verse number 1. He says this. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head, as in heavy burden they are too heavy for me. And he goes on and talks about our condition. And in verse 18 he says, For I will declare my iniquity, I will be sorry for my sins. Now that's where we have to come to in our lives. To where we declare our iniquity, we acknowledge to God, I am a sinner, and hopeless, and helpless. And then we ask the Lord, we're willing to say, I am sorry for my sin. I want your forgiveness. I want your cleansing. That hopeless, hopelessness leads to despair. In Judges chapter 16 and verse 3, the Bible talking about Samson, who was another man that sin led him farther down the road than he ever intended to go. It speaks about him, and, and when he was there, you remember after they had finally cut his hair, and they captured him, and they brought him, they mocked him, they made him as a slave grind wheat and, and grain, and then they brought him into the temple, and they were mocking him and so forth. And they were, they were literally praising their gods. The Bible says in Judges 16.23, they shouted, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. The Philistines were praising their fish god, Dagon, for this great victory that they had over Samson. And I might just say this, that all sin eventually leads to a, to a cry of despair. And that's where Samson was. And he cried out to the Lord and he said, Lord, that I may avenge the enemy from my two eyes. They had put out his eyes. And it was then that he pushed those pillars of the temple apart and the building fell and more people died at his death than did in his life. But he cried out to the Lord in his despair. And then I want to say this also, the hopelessness also leads to disease. There are a lot of diseases that people deal with today because of sin. Job chapter 20 and verse 11 said, His bones are full of the sin of his youth, which shall lie down with him in the dust. Sex sins are especially notable in this area, with fornication oftentimes contracting some type of sexual transmitted diseases. Homosexuals oftentimes wake up one morning and discover that they have the dreaded disease of AIDS or some other sexually transmitted disease. And in our society today, with all of this wokeness and transgender stuff that's going on, mark it down. Don't forget the wages of sin is death. There's a penalty for sin. You know, when God made us, he knew what he was doing. Isn't it amazing that a doctor can look at a um, sonogram and he can tell you whether it's a boy or a girl? Amen? It's not, it's not very hard to figure it out. And if you've got to have surgery, and if you've got to do something to change it, then you're saying God didn't know what he was doing in the first place, 
and you're going against what God planned for you. And oftentimes that leads to diseases that we suffer with. Alcoholics often struggle with all sorts of liver diseases, and drug addicts have to deal with the damage to their brain and to their liver and to their kidneys. I'm just simply saying that this hopelessness leads to disease. And I'm thankful that God forgives us of our sins and cleanses us and saves us, but oftentimes we still have to live with the consequences of our sin that come as a result of it. I remember my friend, Brother Jim Dellismith, who started the St. Louis Hells Angels motorcycle gang and later got saved and God called him to preach and he preached here at our church many times before he, before he went home to heaven. And Brother Dellismith said to me, he said, I never once after I got saved and got out of drugs, he said, I never had a flashback. Because I know of a number of people, I know of some that I know personally that have had flashbacks after, after they, they got saved and were living for the Lord and, and in some cases took their lives. I know of one man who was an evangelist and, and he was involved in, the, in drugs and so forth, went to the roll-off enterprises down in Texas and and God delivered him, called him to preach, and he was an evangelist. But one day he went out, got in his car, listened, turned on his radio, listened to Brother Roloff's program on the radio, and then took a gun and took his life. And they, as far as they know, they said he had some type of flashback from the drugs. And I could tell you other stories like that. I'm just simply saying that the hopelessness leads to disease, but then it also leads to death and doom and damnation. The Bible says in Psalm 9 and verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. James 1.14 and 15 say every man tempted is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Now all of that's not a very pretty picture, but it's a real picture from the Word of God. The late Dr. R.G. Lee, who was a, an outstanding preacher for many years, told the story about a man in Arkansas who found a baby rattlesnake. And he took the rattlesnake home and made a pet out of it. He would startle people and scare people, his friends and strangers, with his antics. And In fact, he even trained the rattlesnake to come to him when he whistled. The rattlesnake would come and wrap around his arm and around his hand. The brave hero, however, became a careless fool. And one day, quicker than the flash of lightning, that pet rattler buried its fangs in that man's arm, and in just a few hours he was dead. Two nights afterward, he was lying in the muddy ground of Arkansas when he should have been at home enjoying his family and spending time with them. You see, sin is like that. You can't fool around with sin. You can't play around with sin. Any man or woman who plays with sin is a fool, and eventually it will lead to death and damnation. The wages of sin is death. But our text about the birth of the Son of God back in Matthew chapter 1 is more than just a tale of man's needs. In fact, it says to us, the wages of sin is death, but it also tells us in that passage Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We talked about sin, but I want to talk about that part, he shall save his people. It's a story of God's provision. You see, man is a sinner, 
And if we continue in that way, we suffer the eternal condemnation and judgment of God in the lake of fire forever and ever. But aren't you glad God made a provision for us so that we could all spend eternity in heaven? We did not have to suffer the consequences of our sin. The story of God's wonderful provision to meet man's needs is, I think, one of the most beautiful and sweetest stories in all of the Bible. And it begins with the fact that God sent His Son. God sent His Son. He said, Thou shalt have a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. God is the one that sent Jesus, and all through Scripture we're told that he would come. In fact, all the way back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 6, or chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God promised that he would send his son. and His son would be the one who would provide redemption for us. Fulfillment of that is seen in Galatians chapter 4. In verse 4 it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And that's described for us in the book of Luke. As the Bible speaks about Mary, it says he shall be great. Uh, the, the, the angel Gabriel speaks and says he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born in thee shall be called the son of God. That baby that Mary was carrying was the son of God. It was God in human flesh. God the son. He was man. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. He is God. And God sent his son. Why would God send His Son? Well, probably the most favorite verse in all the Bible is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son so that we would not perish but so that we would have everlasting life. So God sent His Son, but also God sent His Son to die. He sent Him to die on an old rugged cross the story of Bethlehem is really the story of Calvary. It is the story of Jesus coming to die on the cross. The songwriter wrote this, The flower which Bethlehem saw bloom out of a heart all full of grace gave never, never forth its full perfume until the cross became its vase. May God help us to understand that the Son was born to die. He became that beautiful baby in Bethlehem's manger so that he could become the Savior, so that he could go to the cross, so that he could die and pay the penalty for our sin that we might have eternal life. In Isaiah 50 and verse 7 it says, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. And the Lord Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem to die on that cross. It says in Luke 9 and verse 51, it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus knew why he came. He came so that he could die. God sent his son. God sent his son to die. But God also sent his son to die in order to redeem. To redeem us. Galatians 4 and verse 5 says, God sent his son to redeem. He sent him to redeem us from our sins. 
In Galatians 3.13 it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon the tree. Jesus hung on that tree. He became a curse for you and I so that we could have eternal life. A preacher of, yesterday, of yesteryear by the name of D. DeWitt Talmage told of hearing General Fish relate how he was present one time at a slave auction when a black preacher was brought into the platform. After explaining how good and kind and obedient he was, the auctioneer cried out, What am I offered? The first bid was only $20. But the auctioneer slowly worked the price up until he got all the way up to $65. And as soon as someone offered that amount, the old black preacher, trembling from head to foot, cried at the top of his lungs, $70! And silence immediately followed the deafening cry. Everyone there knew exactly what that meant. It meant that the old preacher had set aside enough money to purchase his own freedom. Perhaps no one else would have bid on him, but the auctioneer didn't give them a chance. He slammed the gavel down and said, Sold! Sold! That preacher obtained his own freedom. Dr. D. DeWitt Talmage went on to say, We are much poorer than that old African preacher. We could not buy our own deliverance. But God sent His Son to buy our deliverance for us. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Money can't buy our redemption. It was purchased with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our final thought as we think about the true meaning of Christmas is this. God offers salvation and it is a story of man's opportunity. It's a story of man's opportunity. He says again in Matthew 1.21, For he shall save his people from their sins. God offers salvation for all. He offers it for everybody. 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 and 4 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of Him. 2 Peter 2 verses 3 and 4 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God provided salvation for all of us. He offers it for every single one of us. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And Romans 10.13, that many of you know by heart, says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's word is very definite. It's very sure. It's very positive about this matter. When the Lord Jesus Christ explained the new birth to Nicodemus, he said to him, he told him about the story of Moses in the Old Testament when the children of Israel had rebelled against God and God sent serpents to bite them and when they were bitten they would die. And Moses was told to make a, a, a brazen serpent. Brass was a picture of judgment. 
And he was to make a pole and put a brazen serpent on that pole. It's where we get our science symbol for, for medical doctor. You'll see it sometimes on a license plate or something. We'll have a pole with a, with a snake on it. And Moses was told to make that serpent and put it in the center of the camp. Whenever somebody was bitten by the snake, they were to be brought and to look on that serpent. And he said, if they look, they'll live. Jesus said to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, put that brazen serpent on a pole and lift it up, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus was nailed to an old rugged cross. He was lifted up. And what does He say to us? He says, look and live. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We put our faith and trust in Him. Those people that were bitten by those snakes, the only cure they had was to be brought and look at that brazen serpent. And the only cure for you and me for our sin is to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith and trust in Him and in Him alone. After Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, he said this, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. On that night when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when the angel made the announcement of his birth to the shepherds, he said this, Fear not, for I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. God offers salvation to every single one of us. And if we we'll put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we too can be saved and can be forgiven and can become a child of God. What a wonderful privilege. God offers salvation to all. Every single one of us here today and every person that has ever lived or ever will live, God has promised and offered salvation to us. And then God offers salvation for free. It's free. You can't purchase it. We already read the verse. It's not purchased by silver and gold. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He provided that salvation for free. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You don't deserve it. None of us do. God provided it through His Son on the cross at Calvary. What a privilege. Probably the best known verses are Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Songwriter Dr. James Gray expressed it this way, he said, Nor silver nor gold hath obtained my redemption. No riches of earth could have saved my poor soul. The blood of the cross is my only foundation. The death of my Savior now maketh me whole. Nor silver nor gold hath obtained my redemption. The way into heaven could not thus be bought. The blood of the cross is my only foundation. The death of my Savior, redemption hath wrought. I am redeemed, but not with silver. I am bought, but not with gold. Bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. Precious price of love untold. In Isaiah 55 and verse 1, it says, Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come by wine and milk, without money and without price. 
When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we come without money, without price. He offers salvation freely. And then He also offers salvation forever. He offers salvation forever. Again, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is forever. Jesus said in John 5.24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth My word and believeth on Him that sent Me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Again in John chapter 10, verse 28, He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Never perish. An old time preacher told about a Scottish physician that was notably, notably dedicated to Christ. He was a skilled doctor. He treated many patients and he went home to be with the Lord. And after his home going, the executor of his estate, of his estate was going through his books and they found the notation on the books where people owed money for their treatment. And on a number of places, he had written in red ink on their account, forgiven, too poor to pay. And they'd go a little bit further and they'd see another one they would say, forgiven, too poor to pay. His wife, whom he had left behind, was not so kind and she was determined to collect those bills and she went to the court and she sued those individuals. And in the trial, the judge asked the widow, are these red notations in this book, are they the handwriting of your late husband? She looked at him and she said, yes, they are. The judge looked at her and said, there is no tribunal in all the land that can collect money on accounts that are marked forgiven. Forgiven. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. When we put our faith and trust in Him, He takes the account of all of our sin and He marks it forgiven. Forgiven. Nobody can ever collect the debt that we owe because Jesus paid it for us and forgave us. And thank God, we have the confidence that He gives us eternal life. It is forever. And so as we think about the true meaning of Christmas as we close tonight, let me just ask you this question. What does Christmas mean to you? If I ask the statement, Christmas is, how would you finish that statement? Is it all wrapped up in parties and presents and trees and tinsel? Or do you understand the true meaning? Christ, the Son of God, came, died, so that we might be redeemed, so that we could freely be forgiven forever. Remember the words of our text, Thou shalt call His name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. If you're here tonight and you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have been saved from your sins. You have been forgiven. But as a forgiven child of God, what does Christmas mean to you? Nobody likes to receive a gift without giving something in return. You know, there are times when we get gifts you can't return, but 
somebody gives you something, you, you, our human nature is we want to give something back, don't we? We want to return something. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What are you giving Him in return for that gift? Have you given Him yourself? Have you given Him your life? As we think about a new year in just a few days, we'll turn the calendar and we'll be in 2023. And In the new year, what are we giving the Lord? What are we doing with our life? Are we faithful in church? Are we faithful to read our Bible and pray? Are we faithful in giving to the Lord's work and tithing? Are we faithful to sing in the choir and use our talents and our instruments for the Lord? Are we faithful to work in the the nursery? Are we faithful to stop smoking and stop cussing and stop drinking and and stop the drugs? What are we giving the Lord? If He saved you, what are you doing for Him? We can't do all these things to earn our salvation. That's already been paid for by Jesus. But when you stop and think about what He did for us, we never have to worry about closing our eyes and going to sleep at nighttime and waking up in hell. We don't ever have to worry about that. It's settled. We wake up in heaven. The greatest thing that could ever happen to us. What are we doing to show our appreciation? We're just drifting through life, or are we just marking time until our time's over and we die and it's all done? Or are we making our life count for the Lord? I think all of us would agree our world is getting worse and worse. Amen? What's going to change that? The thing that will change it will be us sharing the message of the true meaning of Christmas, of salvation, and winning other people to Christ and getting them on board with the true meaning of Christmas. That's what's going to change our world. See, the problem is the world has changed the church instead of the church changing the world. As we think about what Christmas is all about, let's give Him ourselves. Let's make our life count for Him. Not just, what do I want? What do I want to do? What do I get? What do I get to give to Him? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What have I given to Him? Most of us would have to say, I gave Him myself, but He didn't get much, did He? But we can give Him the best that we have. Amen? And make our lives count for Him. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank You that You sent Your Son Thank you that you said he shall save his people from their sins. And I'm so thankful for that night as a young boy when I bowed my heart and knee and invited you into my heart and life to be my Lord and Savior. That which was hopeless and helpless became a wonderful situation, a wonderful opportunity to live for you and serve you, and to know that I have eternal life. Lord, there may be some folks here tonight that don't know that. We don't know how much time we have left until our life is over. There are some folks that sat in the pews of this church that in the last year have gone to heaven. 
maybe somebody here tonight that before Christmas season next year will be in eternity. We don't know. Would you help us to be prepared? And if there's a person that does not know Christ, has never received the Savior, would you help them to open their heart and life to you tonight? Invite you into their heart and life to be their Lord and Savior. And those of us who know you, would you help us to give ourselves, to give our talents, to give our time, to give our finances, to give our abilities that we might make a difference in the world that we live. May others see Christ in us and be drawn to you. Lord, when we stand before you someday, may we not stand there empty-handed, but may there be others that we've brought with us because we've told them about Jesus Christ. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.